Hello, this is Sikpreet. And this is Brenda. And we're back with another episode of Galab Gang. We're going to be talking about more of our personal journeys uh, dealing with caste and just our our backgrounds and our heritage uh, delving in deeper into just like our ancestral links. Yeah, mostly the journeys of how we learned about caste and how to make sense of it moving forward in our own individual experiences. Yeah. Um, also, just a disclaimer that a lot of what we will be speaking about comes from our own personal experience, um, our family backgrounds, um, how we were raised, and again, how we kind of ended up finding ourselves questioning uh, caste beliefs um, since this was not something that was, I think, prevalent for either of us, you know, when we were young. Yeah, and I just want to give honor to folks who are stewarding that education and really sharing their narratives, narratives of Dalit folks and Adivasi folks and um, Indo-Caribbean folks and folks from other backgrounds who um, are really speaking to their experience and, you know, pushing for these narratives to enter the mainstream. Absolutely. Um, What was your first... When when was the first time that you had heard the word caste, you think? Mm, there's memories of learning about it, like in school, obviously in history class, when we were learning about our India section. And I grew up in Sacramento in California, and it's known as Plains Miwok land. And yeah, that came up definitely in history. And it also came up in my family when it came to identification mm-hmm. my parents defined our identity as us being Punjabi and then us being Sikh and then us also being Jat mm-hmm. so being from the farmer caste and the sort of inquiry and questioning into that began probably as a tween into mm-hmm. teenage years And just asking my mom what that meant and how that sort of like translated into our relationship to like other South Asian folks. Mm. Um, Like, I guess what the distinction of caste like meant in a social way. Mm -hmm. And how was her what was her response like to that? It wasn't very deep. I haven't had super deep conversations with my mom about caste in this kind of way. I think a lot of that dialogue has come through me speaking to folks in my generation Mm -hmm. and maybe folks in other generations who I'm not directly related to. And I think that just kind of has to do with my own relationship with my family because there's just been moments where I've had distance and like coming back to them and even with pulling at family history, sometimes it's like taking steps backward and then steps forward because I don't know how much of that history is embedded in trauma or Mm. in things that my mom may have forgot or things that she doesn't frame in the same understandings that I have. Right. That makes sense. I could definitely relate that back to my family as well. 
in a lot of ways. Um, I also heard cast being thrown around a little bit um, when I was in elementary school. I think we also had a uh, section Mm-hmm. that they glossed over mm-hmm. one <laughs> about, chapter yeah like half a chapter about south asian history um and then it's hard though because i feel like my memory of it is really fuzzy like no one moment really sticks out as like oh this was when we talked about that and um it's almost like every every kind of phase in my life I started gathering like each letter <laughs> like mm-hmm. C-A-S-T-E and then like it only really became like this full formed word maybe in the past like six or seven years and um, I think there just also the internet has been such a powerful tool for other people to talk about uh their narratives and like their backgrounds um and i really thank the Dalit communities for that because it takes a lot of just takes a lot of strength and like perseverance to have their voices out there like that given the violent past um that they have faced and still continue to face today so i feel like i i give like a lot of props to even contemporaries like Seema, you know, who's yeah. one of our friends. Um, and some like Dalit queer and trans people also that I see advocating for trans rights and queer rights back home in India. And I feel like their voices are the loudest as well when it comes to even just queer rights because um, I don't really see like a lot of upper caste folks talking about that. And maybe because queers were also considered Dalits at one point. Yeah, there's already a marginalization and sort of distinction that they understand very right. well. Right. So, um, yeah, I think only in the past couple of years did I figure out my own like maternal side cast background. Um, I have my my father's last name, which is Ayer, which is a very prestigious uh, last name that comes from a lineage of Brahmins. And I always felt a sense of, I don't know, I just didn't feel very much like I belonged to that, <laughs> that caste lineage because I grew up eating meat and so did my dad. And I also would hear things being thrown a lot like, oh, we are just Ayers by namesake. You know, it's just something that's been passed down, but we don't really, like, follow all the rules and, like, all the rights. And and so I guess maybe my family carried a bit of shame also because, at least on my dad's side, because it's, like, they have this name that carries so much weight, quote-unquote, but they're not living up to it in the ways that like society would want them to. So in some ways I feel like they kind of outcasted themselves. And then furthermore, my dad marrying my mother who is of a Shudra background, which I only found out back in 2019 in a very like subversive way, um, probably also propelled kind of like the, the disintegration of caste and so just having that mixed cast background has been very interesting and seeing how I was treated 
in these subconscious ways and spaces which i feel like you probably also can relate to growing which up spaces like in other like south asian spaces maybe yeah i for me sometimes that felt more informed by my appearance and what the notion or like the eurocentric notion of what punjabi is supposed to look like Mm, like Um, fair-skinned yeah fair-skinned definitely not curly hair even though these features are there it's just something that is has been named and experiences even in elementary school of people speaking punjabi or like saying things about me and then me responding and there being some kind of like surprise to the fact that (laughs) you could understand yeah so there was that sort of that was happening um and obviously it wasn't happening because of my name so it felt like that was based on appearance and sometimes people will put other identities onto me Mm. like they'll assume that I'm from Fiji or that I'm Indo-Caribbean and yeah I think that has to just do with appearance and the sort of dissonance between like what South Asian is supposed to look like I feel like every time I would go back which is like pretty much every year until the pandemic happened I would try to assert my dominance as far as like I am from here and like this is my home so you know come to me correct (laughs) essentially Mm -hmm. but at the same time in the same token I think like being mindful of like taking it back to caste essentially I feel like I have variations in my skin tone throughout the year so I get very dark during the summer and like fall but then the winter I get um get a little bit more pale and so when I go back I remember as a child like once I went back during Christmas time and we were going through South India and just being treated like I was some sort of like movie star Mm. which was really wild because I felt like I'd never gotten that much attention before in the past or like my grandma would always just be like, oh, you've gotten so dark, you know, you need to stay out of the sun because every time I would go, it would be during the summer. So that was interesting. And I was like, how do I, I want to change this, you know, like, I don't like this. And they should not be feeling like, I don't know, because I was just like, I'm literally one of you. <laughs> like We have yeah. the same family background, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's it's just wild, like, how integrated caste has become, like, over the years. Um, and this idea, like, caste also being, like, going hand in hand with colorism, because colorism is so rampant in India. Yeah. And, you know... Even this false notion of, oh, if you're upper caste, then you must be light skin. Yeah, so this idea that being light skin means you're upper caste, you know, being darker skin means you're lower caste. And to some degree, I can understand a little bit where that comes from because the lower caste spent a lot of time outside laboring. So with my mother's Shudra background, um, we have a lot of we have farmers as well like we have farmer lineage and um 
kind of just like having to be outside more laboring and you know whereas like the the priests and like merchant classes are spending their time indoors or you know in temples or within the confines of like their business or their homes so I guess it kind of makes sense but it's still really wild because like we've moved so far past that to some degrees but in at the same time it still exists so when someone is like oh caste isn't real like I've heard it in my own family too just like oh like that's something of the past that doesn't exist really anymore it's like but it's so ingrained in all of these little ways in these subversive now yeah yeah for like the unpacking that you've been doing what have those dialogues looked like with your family um I think I've kind of I haven't wanted to poke and prod too much because it feels really heavy on both ends like on my dad's side I know for a fact my grandmother doesn't come from a high caste so it was kind of the similar thing where my grandfather like fell in love with her because she had a beautiful voice (laughs) and like she was working like at a canteen that he had stopped by at and um and yeah and then like wanted to get married to her and he kind of also was a renaissance man in the sense that like he didn't prescribe to what like what the notions were of caste like back in those days and back in that time and he was really interested in traveling um and I think like my dad definitely also has that like in him and I feel like that's been passed on to me too just like traveling and getting to know other people and other perspectives and knowing that like the worlds that we live in are larger than just our own so um with my dad's side it feels a little bit more loose ended I think my grandmother has a lot of hang-ups with how dark-skinned she is and I haven't been able to really address like her caste background it seems like her memory is just fuzzy at this point so she doesn't even remember a lot of things from her childhood um and then on my mom's side you know, I found out in 2019 that, like, we are actually Bahujan, and they have a Shudra background, but I kind of knew growing up, because I was, like, socioeconomically, like, none of this makes sense, like, both of my parents come from, like, very poor backgrounds, my mother coming from a poorer background than my dad, and just the sort of ways in which I feel like they've internalized, like, um, shame, and the hate that they've received from other people um other people like communities south asian communities like upper caste communities not really here because my mom is the only one from the family to ever have migrated here um but even even just back home like my aunt and my uncle worked really hard after my grandfather passed away who was abusive um to make sure that the rest of the girls could go to go to an english-speaking school which was a really big deal for them and when they were there i think my mom still harbors a lot of shame of the in the ways that she was treated and in the ways that she had to hide from the people that she was surrounded by at school like no one could know that she came from this background and like um they had to like pretend and you know i think she had to like be this this the the model minority essentially to prove herself and prove her self-worth and 
with that came like a really strong work ethic but I think she also just suppressed so much of her own feelings and just calling it out for what it was which is unfair treatment (laughs) um so you know like I think that's another thing I'm uh, coming to terms with is like like racism is like a macro level like issue you know like it it exists like everywhere you know whereas like things like caste I feel are more so like limited to like a country or like to a society like within the country like if that makes sense yeah because I guess it's how caste relates to money and like structures related to money and occupation right commerce yeah it's just kind of like the furthering like furthering like uh segregation and like like compartmentalization of people even though we share like the same ethnic background at the end of the day yeah that makes me think of how it translates specifically here into the u.s like Mm -hmm. where both of us grew up me mostly and then you partially yeah um but just with my own parents like obviously we were jot and my parents migrated here in the 80s and Mm -hmm. i think it's also important to distinguish different waves and like levels of migration and how that affected folks abilities to gain citizenship and just whatever they had to go to based on those different time periods Mm -hmm. but my parents came in the 80s and I know that was possible through my mother's side of the family she had an uncle who was an engineer and a contractor Mm -hmm. and he was doing work here in California and his story is also just something I trace back to because he essentially provided a passage for Mm. a lot of my relatives and even relatives on my dad's side because he was sort of the initiator of that Mm -hmm. but as soon as he got here he was working on a site and they were doing some digging and essentially like him and the person that he was working with were just like the dirt that they had dug like sealed them in and so he didn't live here very long and he yeah it's just strange like how that happened and then he kind of just was gone did he have family yeah he did have family he had a wife and like I um his daughters are like still around and I'm not that close to them just because connecting with my family has been like a process Mm. based on my own journey. But that was that. And even with my parents' marriage, I it wasn't explicitly stated, but I feel like the passage here was like part of their marriage or like something that was like foundational to my parents getting married Mm. and yeah upon being here also just seeing making sense that like my cast is distinguished as 
being privileged and being upper caste and acknowledging that that gave my parents the ability to like migrate here Mm -hmm. and any resources that they needed to do that and also seeing that that migration was informed by partition and like Mm -hmm. any traumas and just a desire to secure themselves and like something I've been making sense of is how much of that is rooted in greed and then how much of that is just you know a desire to survive and like live and do well and like Mm -hmm. how do I disentangle those sort of um different layers of that yeah I mean I think like the need uh to survive comes first and you know greed follows after so I mean how old was your mother when the partition happened I don't know the don't know her she wasn't born I think I don't know her age when that was happening I know it mostly affected my mother's father so my grandfather Mm -hmm. and like his siblings and that we actually trace our ancestry to Pakistan and they moved from Pakistan to the India side of Punjab because we were sick and not Muslim Mm -hmm. and that migration actually changed my grandfather's occupation because the farmland that they were given in India was just really bad and they weren't able to grow anything. Mm. So he became a truck driver instead. Mm. So that is like, and that in itself like shifted um, my grandparents' relationship because he wasn't really home and just created more stress, I feel like, for their ability to like, sustain themselves and support themselves because my grandma was doing a lot on her own and I know her brothers like my mom's uncles were helpful in that process and that's also why pulling that history has been just (laughs) it's been like um a game of sorts because it's not something that my parents just like give out and you know that just speaks to their own emotional processing and Mm -hmm. um how much they also feel like they have the ability to go into these things because it feels like since my parents have been here they've had to work so much yeah to just sustain what they are and yeah I think also something that comes up is like how caste plays into marriage yes definitely and you know with your parents there's it's beautiful that there's um so many people in your lineage who like moved away from that and didn't Mm -hmm. let that limit them and who they decided to Mm -hmm. start families with and I know for myself growing up something I was told was like to marry within my caste Mm. and obviously I feel like I've moved (laughs) so (laughs) far away from all of that and even just the concept of marriage and all these sort of structures and I've had my moments with that but yeah I'm curious you know how that plays out for like other folks here and how prevalent that actually is still here Yeah, I mean, things like, you know, like Indian Matchmaker went viral. I never watched it. I didn't watch it either. (laughs) Yeah, you didn't watch it either. But I think 
I feel like a lot of it was informed by caste. Like it had to Definitely. be because it's also an upper caste narrative, you know. And I feel like even in the Western media, like this is why like push for South Asian representation so hard is because like you mostly really see like upper caste, like North Indian and like more recently now, like and Hindu South nationalist. Indian. Huh? And Hindu nationalists. Yeah. <laughs> Who's a Hindu nationalist in the media? I guess I'm thinking about Priyanka Chopra. Oh. Well, that's just a, right. a sidebar. Yeah, but she, like, she is also an immigrant, <laughs> I guess. You know, like, it's not like she got her break, like, starting out, you know, over here. Okay, you're thinking folks who are, like, born here or based here mostly. Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. Um, but even in that regard, it's, like, pretty male-dominated. And if not male-dominated, then they do come from, like, upper-caste backgrounds. So you see that play out a lot in, like, the narratives that are being pushed and the stories that are being crafted. And, you know, like, I think, like, even in my adult age right now, my mid-20s, I'm never, like, oh, yeah, I can relate to Mindy Kaling, you know, like... <laughs> I mean, I think it's great, you know, she's a dark-skinned Indian woman, but at the same time, I'm like, this is not something that I relate to, and I definitely don't want her to be, like, the token representation yeah. of, yeah. like, yeah, just, like, femme South Indian folks. So, it's, I think it's really important um, that, that, you know, that we keep pushing for just more, because there's no such thing as like oversaturation of these stories and that's something that like people often worry about because they think that there's only like so many seats at the you know at the table type deal which is just not the case and um i think being able to i'm really grateful for the internet and i'm grateful for living in these times because I just think of how hard it would have been and like how much grief and trauma I probably would have kept inside of my body like psychosomatically if you know we were growing up like if we were the age now in the 90s or even the early 2000s like yeah <laughs> if anything that was like um, an era that was like oversaturated with whiteness um but yeah, I think like going back to my parents, I I really applaud them for just all the trials and tribulations that they went through because, you know, really at the end of the day, it is like they walked so I could run. <laughs> and even though they are sometimes problematic, I think like they're also becoming a little bit more soft as they become older um which is interesting because it's i think they maintain a level of like rigidness um because they're becoming more set in their ways but i think because they're not as like angry anymore they're a little bit more open to hearing what i have to say when it comes to like queer issues or you know even talking about caste and so my approach has been more of going back to that has just been more of like uh like being like just like approaching them with care 
because I don't know what they have gone through. I don't I really don't know like the full scope of what they went through, especially my mother's side of the family. And I think just like injecting them with like whatever we're talking about right now, like this is actually leading to a place of positivity and growth for all of us. Um, but I think like some some folks that I, I look up to would be Jyoti Rao and Savitri Bai Phule, as well as, uh, you know, Dr. B.R. Ambedkar, who are both, like, all three of them have Maharashtrian lineages and backgrounds. Um, B.R. Ambedkar being a Dalit himself, and then Jyoti Rao and Savitri Bai Phule being uh, Shudra background, so Bahujan. And I am so proud to be from the state that I am from because I think there's just a lot of very interesting and like thought provoking literature, especially from, I would say, kind of from like the 1940s, 1930s, you know, leading up to even like recently, they've kind of paved this path of like, we want to figure out like why these issues are still so pervasive, like in India um so yeah I, I I don't know like I'm like really I feel like I, I read about what they're saying and I'm like this is still relevant like today and everyone should be like reading about this and like why do not that many like Indians themselves know about like these histories and like you know even just like their backgrounds um who are some people that you look up to mm, definitely like folks in our circles and in mm. community and mm. having access to the variety of narratives that I feel like play out here because each person's history and lineage is never really the same. Mm -hmm. Like growing up here, I've never come across someone who has the same experience as me. Mm -hmm. and that sort of scaling has been helpful for me and it's also just makes me think of sort of what is necessary even circling back to the conversation on diversity and representation and the ways that South Asian folks get flattened mm-hmm um, because I don't feel that in my experience and I don't see that with the people that I actually engage with. And I wonder for folks who are moving f into those arenas and, you know, making it into these spaces, what are some of the like self flattening that they're having to do and how can that be like shifted and, just altered and what does it actually look like for us to change when there's so many different layers to our identities because there isn't one clear-cut way for someone to unpack their caste and like disentangle from the harms of their mm. caste and sometimes it feels like that is Yeah, I think even going back to the internet is like we've had so many of these dialogues and 
we've learned so many things from the internet Mm -hmm. but when it comes to us actually gathering and you know doing this shifting this changing in an embodied way that disconnect is really stark to me and it's um it's not that it's scary but it's like I don't want it to be that way and so I wonder like what what can kind of change that and I know that some of the organizing work I did when I lived in Sacramento was helpful for that on a small scale just gathering with folks and talking about these things and opening space to have dialogues that felt difficult to have at home Mm -hmm. you know because of what uh, generations before us carry or just the unsafe like unsafety in having those conversations you know if that could mean like being estranged from family or just like being unsafe in your home from bringing up these kind of things and those moments were like some of the few moments I've had those kind of conversations like outside of the internet Mm. and yeah I just want to continue stewarding that because that in itself feels really impactful because sometimes Mm. with it being solely online I think it can just get really divisive and debilitating definitely yeah I think it's a great connector and it's a great tool to you know spread information widely um and to even just like by being able to do that like drawing in like-minded people but I think when it comes to facilitating conversations or like dialogue and having something productive come out of it I think it's you know like you said it it can be very debilitating and ends up being a detractor so you know it's uh, very much a double-edged sword so I think like moving forward being able to utilize it as a tool but then you know, stepping away from it as it starts becoming something that can cause harm. Because, yeah, like, the ho- the whole point is connection. The whole point is to learn and to grow. So I think, like, if we keep staying on that sort of, in the, on that medium, and then, uh, like, ultimately all it does is, like, create, like, a bigger divide than, like, we've lost. Um. Yeah, so I feel like just connecting with people, even, like, in outdoor spaces... <laughs> definitely feels really good um i think about you know black panther meetings in like the 1960s and how like invigorating it must have been to be in those spaces like even if you are disagreeing with someone in that space like which i'm sure they had disagreements like internally on like just how they were moving and whatnot i could see it just like being quelled there then and there or like just having that like human yeah the nervous system process is so much different yeah um so i would love to see more of that and you know having like workshopping like events like um as i was mentioning like gardening or you know like being able to grow our own vegetables like dyeing our own clothes um workshops on like building like carpentry 
I feel like is a great way for people to come together regardless of their background in order to create something that's like sustainable for the future mm. and at that point it's like you know you're building something that's like bigger than just like you and I and like the identities and the backgrounds we come from and it goes into more of like yeah future building and community building and being able to like build spaces for our kids essentially mm-hmm. you know to grow up in and that's another huge part is like once I think like I've become a parent I want to be able to start having these conversations like when they're still young and I try to do that still like when I am around kids and it's really interesting because I've had you know like I've had talks about like racism and colorism with children and like um what it means to be non-binary and stuff like that and they always are so inquisitive and like come more with questions than just like oh no this isn't right you know Mm -hmm. so I think tapping into like our child selves too when it comes to um dream of like a more like utopian future seems imperative yeah Mm, utopia (laughs) I that makes me wonder like what needs to be leveled out you know to to move into what feels more equitable and like what feels more just in those futures and circling back to how caste influences that and specifically with folks who live here on Turtle Island in the U.S., just the ways that caste and then also like racial and religious discrimination and then certain experiences that have happened specifically here have impacted that and a sort of I don't know if coming forward would be the right word, but again, it feels like a leveling out. Like there's like a leveling out that feels like it should happen based on those distinctions. I just wonder because like who is working at like the Indian embassy and like what's going on at the consulate, you know, because it's like who is being given these visas because Right now, you know, there's a lot of stories of, like, Dalit people facing discrimination at their jobs or even within, like, school campuses. Um, And it's, like, you know, it's great that they're able to come here, but then clearly, like, the discrimination they're facing is, like, from their own people, just, like, upper caste folks. So what do you feel like that leveling out would look like? I think that even you saying their people is like important because I think caste creates a divide between who is our people and who Mm -hmm. isn't and so even though we may be grouped together here there's distinctions that were that are taking place under that umbrella of grouping Mm -hmm. and I think acknowledgement first you know people making sense of their ancestry at the capacity that they can and seeing the 
like simultaneous privilege and then the prejudice and discrimination that they are experiencing at the very same time Mm -hmm. and you know what to do with that and how to move through that um yeah I think I just feel like you know the constitution was formed by Biarambergar who is like who created that in order to create like an equitable and equal India and it's like why is that not being honored (laughs) um and I feel like there's just been like you know like India has been like a very feudal state and a lot of like even prior to the British like there's been like so much invasion and a lot of like warring factions um so it's very easy for I think upper caste folks to just be like oh the caste system like that was the British you know there was no caste system before and it's like no like the caste system has existed well before the British the British just like um saw that as kind of like their golden ticket to like divide and conquer like furthermore but definitely there are accounts of like hindu um like like the vaishnava sect which like worships vishnu and like incarnations of vishnu they have accounts like well before the british like got there of just like being mistreated because a lot of people that currently inhabit like the the Varkari sect, so it's basically like almost translates to workers um, that worship Vital, which is an incarnate of Vishnu. They mostly, a lot of them come from like lower caste. And I think it's like, maybe I'm going a little bit off topic, but I just personally remember as a child seeing their pilgrimage happen yearly because I would be in India around that time and I just thought it was very interesting how this group of people this massive group of people was moving because normally I would not see like Indian men and women um kind of all just like grouped together and like having the sense of camaraderie that I feel like was not I don't know hasn't been present in like other spaces like they mm. all just felt like like one giant family even though like you know it was like multiple families like traveling together going on this pilgrimage but essentially that sect was started by um a lot of like lower caste like dalit and bahujan people who are worshipers of this one deity but felt like they didn't have a space in like temples um prior because of like how like brahmin dominant it was were they actually pushed out of the temples or treated differently at the temples they were treated differently at the temples and just were disregarded and were like not allowed entry in yeah that happens at the gudwara too Mm. which is like another thing of the religion itself being founded to disrupt caste and like disrupt gender and just be accepting of all but in practice like the caste system is still even seeping into a religion that Mm. was like 
a response to eradicating it right yeah that's really wild um but i think you know when it comes to being intersectional it is possible to like have a certain faith or like worship the gods that you worship without necessarily like prescribing to the um yeah to things like castes and just you know treating other people unfairly and I feel like a lot of people would disagree with that with you know on that note with me but again that's why I choose to highlight the Varkari sect because they are a blatant example of people that identify as Hindu but in the same token don't prescribe to caste because they are literally you know a lot of them existed outside of caste their backgrounds and their ancestry um or just like of the lowest caste so and that way i feel like a lot of the um even just like the female writers like the femme writers the women writers whose work i have read like from the 1800s like even the 16 to the 1800s they are mostly from the sect because they were allowed to read and write and um like teach each other and it was okay for like women to you know occupy spaces with men because they were all just like like more focused on transcending which i think is the basis of hinduism is to kind of transcend this flesh vessel um and then just like a lot of other shit started like adulterating it um and that's kind of how it was presented to me as a child so tying that back into my mom's background i feel like she wasn't a very religious person or wasn't like brought up religious but then like was seeking out various avenues of spirituality and then suddenly became more religious because she was like f all of this i don't even want like i just want to transcend and like i don't want to like uh feel like inhibited by like the complications that like humans you know like put on to other people yeah so it's kind of a response to her trauma being lower caste i feel like that's like my theory (laughs) yeah that feels significant because there is the warping of the religion where you know karma and these other notions are used to sort of support caste or support Mm -hmm. injustice and then even Yeah, something I think about with spirituality in general is how important it is to have a spiritual practice to just be (laughs) able to function Mm -hmm. and, you know, be at ease with oneself. Yeah. And then also how that is warped to just not give people the resources or like what they actually tangibly need. Yeah. To some degrees. And. Or it could be, like, a form of escapism, too, which I feel like is so predominant here in the West as well. Yeah. Like, the further, like, filtration of Hinduism or, like, even Buddhism and, like, nitpicking at aspects of it in order to, like, feel better about oneself and, like, escape, like, the realities of life. Um... So, yeah, it feels like a, I don't know, spirituality sometimes feels like a dilemma to me, but (laughs) 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 like, how do you ethically 
be spiritual. <laughs> I don't think. I mean, everyone needs. I think everyone should be spiritual. Yeah, because spirituality, spir- spirituality in action is political, mm-hmm. and that's what is lost. Is like it moving out of actually caring and feeling for others and doing tangible things. Mm-hmm. You know, like doing seva and yes. these kind of things like that's spirituality in mm-hmm. action mm-hmm. but without yeah. feeling like a savior yeah because <laughs> there's that too yeah um. but yeah the notions of these eastern religions that allow one to just completely check out mm-hmm. are violent in their own ways too yeah definitely yeah, and I think, you know, another thing is, like, I wanted to bring up is, like, I've tried to have cast discussions, not with just South Asian folks or not, you know, not just with Indian folks. And it is truly kind of, you know, like I said, it's more on a micro level. So, like, I feel like, you know, it's uh specific to, like, territories and, like, countries and, like, religion, for example. But, um I was talking to my friend who is Nigerian and, you know, caste stuff came up a lot, like, especially when we were in a relationship just because I was like starting to research more into my background. And they told me that like caste exists in this warped way also in Nigeria. Um, and then I know that like caste also exists in, um, like certain like Muslim communities as well and I think when like power is like the central focus of like expansion then you know it becomes wrapped up in greed and like how do I step on other people to get ahead so like these like systems have been in place for like thousands of years because of this like of basically this capitalist need to like get ahead and like you know be better than everyone because resources are dwindling so i'm just wondering like how do we break that chain (laughs) because it's it's existed for so long you know everywhere and there's no perfect way of going about it like i think you know we're kind of like destined to fail like try and fail try and fail but i think like progress can still be made yeah In our relationships, Mm -hmm. in us being honest. And that's where the leveling comes in. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, there is different layers of privilege. And that's why the the rise of these conversations and these dialogues is so important. It's just the the steps to putting them into action Mm -hmm. is is definitely still forming um and that's why even it's this like weird making sense of folks who are from south asian backgrounds who are creating shifts or like entering rooms or spaces that previously wouldn't have been accessible Mm -hmm. 
you know, what are they bringing in and like, what is their lineage and what privileges are they bringing in and what are they expected to carry as one individual and like how much can they actually feasibly carry as one individual right and you know what does that look like because that is happening in this very moment so the ability to move forward in this landscape like what gave them the platform and the foundation to do that um, and holding the multiplicity of what they overcame as a South Asian person mm. to do that. And then also the layers of like folks who don't even have that foundation, never right. had that foundation. What is that kind of leveling and like how can that be done in an impactful way? Um, because I think critique and canceling you know is a form like it's a offshoot of white supremacy and patriarchy and these things that you know yeah. strive to destroy but like what is the actual cycle of transformation mm -hmm. you know because we're not trying to dispose and destroy each other but mm -hmm. critiquing and like bringing each other in is really important and that should be happening yes yeah definitely so yeah I think you know again going back to like moving away from internet spaces and like have you seen that happen like in a more you know one-on-one -on -one or like face-to-face -face, like like community oriented like landscape even you know in group settings it's really touchy people get from what i've experienced there there's just a lot of defensiveness mm -hmm. that can come up in this and i haven't seen it expressed in a way that felt impactful i mm. can't say i have in person mm -hmm. um so that is something that I'm hoping to like steward or see or moving more into that way of engaging with it mm -hmm. and really people's fullness and layers being able to be acknowledged because each person's experience is different. Yeah, definitely. So, um, feel like we need to be reeled back in huh what were you gonna say i think just like being compassionate at the end of the day remembering to be compassionate at the end of the day is really important um not because we want to like provide a safe landing for everyone or, or anyone for or like cushion them while you know calling them in but more so because you know, like we said, we want to call them and not drive them out because they also ultimately, if they respond well to this sort of calling in, then there can be effective transformation that takes place and where other communities can be helped as far as up, uh, like upward mobility. You know what I mean? Yeah, I 
just the concept of upward mobility seeing it in that framework is like people who have no mobility or have made it upward (laughs) (laughs) i hate that it feels like they need to step down you know and like how can someone step down without cutting themselves off or removing themselves you know like what does it actually mean to like step down down, or to like lift others up and how does that also function when there's just the reality that you know the folks who are making these breakthroughs are are either attractive (laughs) or Mm. privileged or like these sort of distinctions that has also helped them Mm -hmm. into Mm -hmm. those places like that in itself needs to be acknowledged and that doesn't make the person inherently bad or wrong or moralistically like wrong but it's a sort of openness I think there's a lack I've noticed of openness of people being able to fully see themselves in that framework and that makes sense because it's a process of self-awareness and unpacking um but I'm just wondering like what can help lead folks to that and obviously education and having these kind of dialogues does that yeah right it's a it's a lot bigger question that I feel like will still take some time to be answered because I think currently we're still in the stage of like exploring ourselves and who we are and the backgrounds we come from so I think as some some time passes like that can be uh, something that like we're able to focus on more so it seems like right now is more of a time of like representation being sought out and like again like exploring our lineage and being able to ask questions about our background without feeling stunted and um yeah I think I think it will happen like I am I feel pretty optimistic that it will happen especially as we're kind of moving away from certain economic models <laughs> there is a, a a strong desire to move away from like capitalist structures yeah and the way that's embedded in caste right yeah circling back to ourselves um what do you feel like you want to like carry forward from your lineage um i think that i think like I hold to heart that my family is like comes from a background of like fighters, warriors. So that was like one thing that I missed out on saying was like my family previously I thought they were of the Kshatriya background which is the like fa- uh the warrior caste and they were kind of um what's the word I'm looking for like taken into that or like assigned that at one point by a Shudra prince himself, Shivaji, who is like a very strong 
like emblem of like a Marathi identity because he protected the land from Mughal invaders and him having that background everyone was kind of just like oh like he will not do anything like he will not he's not capable and he enlisted a lot of like farmers and like potters gardeners like just people of like pastoral backgrounds and um also people that existed outside of that because he did have love he was on good terms with like a lot of like muslim people like even like most muslim like sultanates but it was more that was uh more in like a diplomatic sense and then he obviously had his enemies that were like trying to take over the land so at some point the the like the caste lineage like marker shifted for us because of that and i'm pretty sure like i have like ancestry that um was directly like involved in like protecting the land and like even even ambedkar's like uh background mahar so they're dalits but it's really wild because like they were also stewards of the land at one point and i think after like the mogul invasion some things like shifted around um and i can't completely speak to this like i feel like someone with that background like has more knowledge of it but from what i understand is like um there was a lot of just like movement that took place and because they kind of like existed a bit on the fringes of like society like not directly inside of it they something happened and there was a famine and they started eating like meat of like dead cows and then like the brahmins were just like oh no like like untouchables <laughs> like which is really wild and they were just like well like we have nothing to eat you know yeah. like there's no arable land we are we don't have like the resources um like the economic means to have food so we're eating like dead cow meat essentially mm-hmm. and um and then from that moment on like it was like an immediate denouncement even though they were originally protectors of the land yeah so (laughs) it's so layered and it's so complex um but i feel like i am taking away like the the fighter spirit and the warrior spirit and like fighting for what's right and like wanting to like also um help other people and yeah i feel like i really carry that forward from my lineage yeah that's really important definitely similar things um wanting to steward the land and care for the land and connect to the earth and you know provide what the earth needs (laughs) in this moment and also just with my own spiritual practice and the like lineage of spiritual warriors and you know with Sikhism just the way that spirituality functions in that religion is really important to me because like I mentioned before there's an embodiment and an acceptance and really wanting to connect to everyone and Mm -hmm. just provide a space for everyone and even 
though culturally and because of like larger systems of power it's not always able to be expressed in that way I know that at its roots like that is what it is Mm -hmm. and so as much as I can I try to connect to those aspects of it Mm. and just uplift those aspects of it and make sense of how to like shift the paradigms of my lineage that are built around oppression yeah and the ways that grief and trauma has translated into like constriction mm-hmm. um yeah and it's the kind of like funny fact that i found about my dad's side of the family is that we come from like these three brothers who were all wrestlers <laughs> <laughs> and they like built up the village in Punjab, like the area of Shankar. Mm. And I've just always had this innate desire that Brenda can speak to of <laughs> wanting to wrestle my friends. And I'm like, is that <laughs> what it comes from? Maybe. Because, yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you've ever told me that before. Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. It's just funny doing that tracing. Huh. Also interesting that it's called Shankar because that is like another name for Shiva. Mm. So I'm like, where is this located? <laughs> um, it's in Punjab. Yeah. Well, I feel like we covered a lot and it feels like we still have to like row this boat. The boat. Like, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're still in these waters and yeah. we'll continue to be in them for right. probably our whole life it's you know it's very open-ended there's no like right or wrong answer to any of this but i think like walking away from this conversation feels good on the inside yeah it does feel good it gives me hope for more of this dialogue to emerge and for us to be able to be honest and be open and be curious about where we have come from and how to carry that forward in a way that doesn't perpetuate harm harm exactly yeah thank you all for listening and being here with us we appreciate it so much and you know if you feel compelled to look into your own ancestry or if any questions or curiosities come as you go through this process like definitely reach out to us yeah we would also love to hear from other folks too and if they have anything that they want to share um very open to that and that's what this whole all of these musings have really been about is to be able to create uh, a bigger sphere of of stories and um yeah i think everyone i just i feel like everyone should retain their fighter spirit (laughs) um and yeah i just i hope for a more just future yes yeah thank you thanks bye thank you for listening